listening to Connection Church's podcast. Amen. How's everybody doing? Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Day. Everybody good? Good, good, good. Awesome. Well, I'm excited about today. I want to jump right into it. Um, do want to ask you to be praying for Vidalia today. They'll have a service at 11, as Joey said, and I just believe God's going to do some incredible things over there. Um, but also believe that God's got some incredible things in store for us here today. And so I want to get straight into the word. Um, got some cool things left for you here today. I hope one of those is the message um, as we get into it. Um, and so today we're doing something a little bit different. If you've been attending the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Who Do You Say That I Am? And we've been looking at some different religions and just different ways that people um, try to approach God. And uh, specifically John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we looked at that and talked about how uh, how, how can we say that without being arrogant, and, and is it true? And so we've been looking at that. If you missed those messages, you can check them out online. We'd love for you to do that. Today we're going to flip that question around, and rather than asking the question, um, who do we say he is, we're going to flip that around and say, who does he say we are? And, and I want to do that specifically by looking at two men in Scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 13. Um, we're going to read a good bit of scripture here at the beginning, and then we're going to talk about that for the rest of our time. Um, John chapter 13, we're actually going to begin in verse 18 of this text. And uh, basically, Jesus is coming to the end of his life. Um, they're at the, the Last Supper um, where Jesus is, is basically telling them, again, I'm about to be taken from you. And I want to look at the lives today as we go through this text of Judas um, who we know, Judas Iscariot, who most of you, all of you, I'm sure probably have heard of, at least in some form or fashion, and another man by the name of Peter. And we want to co contrast their lives, and I want you to see the difference in their lives, and I want you especially to walk away with the reason for the difference in their lives. And so um, we're going to look at that today. So if you will, um, again, we're going to read a good bit of scripture at the very beginning. Um, if you, you know, were in Sunday school growing up and you did like the speed Bible flipping, you know, finding the passages, you'll be very good at this. We're going to skip around a little bit to get the full picture of these two men's lives and especially the parts that we're talking about today. So we're going to read verses 18 through 38 uh, in John 13, then we're going to go to John 18 and a couple more after that. So here we go. Everybody ready? Y'all good? Excited? Here we go. John 18, or 13, 18. It says, I am not referring to all of you. Jesus is saying this. He had just told them that they were clean um, and, and that he had, he had washed them, that they were clean. But he's about to tell them that not all of you, um, or he says, but not all of you are clean. And he says here in 18, he says, I'm not referring to all of you, meaning all of you are not clean, all of you are not my disciples. He says, I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and asked, and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one whom I give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. 
Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus had said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought he was telling him to go buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. John chapter 18. Let's look here in verse 15 through 18. This is Peter's first denial. Remember, Jesus just told him, you'll deny me three times. It says, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because his disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You're not one of his disciples, are you? The girl, asked, the girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire. They, made, they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. And then it goes on in John 18 and talks about his second and third denials. Um, and the rooster crows. Now, Matthew chapter 26. Flip back there real quick. We're almost done with the, the text we're going to be looking at. But I want you to get the full picture of where we're going today. Matthew 26, 14. This is where Judas agrees to betray Jesus. It says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Flip one page over if you have the same Bible as I do. And it's Matthew 27, 1 through 5. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, who was, had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned. He was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priest and the elders. I've sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. And the last one is John chapter 21, beginning in verse 6. Now Jesus has died. He's been resurrected, um, which we're celebrating today, obviously. And in verse 6, he comes to these disciples who had decided they would go fishing, Peter and some of the others. And he says to them, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some, meaning find some fish. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Does that not sound just like Peter, right? Um, always eager. 
The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the nets were not torn. Jesus asked, said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord because Jesus, and they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to him and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that it speaks to our hearts. Thank you for your grace in our lives, Lord. Lord, just speak to us now. God, I pray that no matter how we walked in here today, we would be able to experience your love and your grace because, God, we know you have extended that to us. So now, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, let us just encounter you in a very real way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, I know many of you have children. Some of you probably don't. I talk about my children a lot because that's what we do right now is church and children. That's what we, we, our life consists of. Um, and one of the things I've always been amazed at, and I bet you have too if you think about it for a second, is how two people growing up in the same house can be so different. Like, if you have a brother or sister, would you agree with that? Like, you're, you're probably quite a bit different than your brother or your sister. And I can look at my children. We've got three boys, and they're all so different from the other. Um, for instance, Jackson, my middle son, I don't know if it's a middle child thing or not, he's my caring child. He, he is like the most loving child. Um, now, he has his moments of mischief, but he's also very loving, very caring. For example, one day we were out um, playing baseball in a baseball tournament, and uh, he had had a great tournament up to that point, um, hitting the ball. And he hits the ball down the third baseline. The ball takes a bad hop and hits the little boy right in the throat, right? And uh, the little boy is down there and just holding his throat. He was fine, but he was just crying because it obviously hurt. And uh, so he gets to first, and my, the first base coach looks at him and goes, Jackson, man, you have had a great tournament today. Are you having fun? And he looks at him, and he goes, not right now, coach. That little boy's hurt. And so, like, everybody's, and, and then you take my other two sons, and they'd have been like, yeah, get some of that. You know what I mean? They would have been <laughs> completely different. And so I've got Jackson, who, like, loves everybody. He prays for people um, all the time. He's like, we need to pray for so-and-so. We need to pray for them. This loving, caring child. And then I've got Reed, my four-year-old. He just wants to kick everybody in the shin, right, or worse. And, and so um, it's, it's one of those things where um, they're so, so very, very different. You take Susan and I. We've been together for since we started dating, and now that we've been married. We've been together for a quarter century, right? Whoa. Right? That's a long time. Seems like only yesterday. And so we, we've been together for this long, long time. And yet there's still some things that even though we've been together, even though we've been in the same environment, there's some things we react very differently to. Number one, shopping, right? I don't, I don't dig it. She does. Number two, Hallmark Channel. What? How can you watch a channel in which you know the ending before it ever begins because every movie ends the same way? She gets the guy. Everybody lives happily ever after. The end, right? And, and so there's, but we look at this and we see people in similar environments or almost identical environments who react to things very differently. I want you to think about that in the lives of Judas and Peter because there were a lot of commonalities with Judas and Peter. Think about all of the things that they shared in common. For three years, they had been walking with Jesus. They had been with him throughout this time. Think about what they saw. They saw all of the miracles that Jesus did. They heard all the truth that Jesus taught. 
They, they saw um, all the people healed. They saw Jesus walk on water. Peter even walked on water himself, and they all witnessed this. And you know when Peter walked on water, they knew there was nothing that special about him. They were like, God is amazing, right? And so we see this. We see that they were taught the same thing. They saw the same thing. They were both loved by Jesus the same way. They were friends with Jesus the same way. Um, yet they reacted to him very differently as we see. Um, both of them, think about this, both of them failed him miserably at the end of his life. Both of them deserted him in his greatest time of need. Both of them betrayed him so that they both um, turned their back to him. Um, but here's the difference. One of them was lost, the other saved. One of them found life, the other death. One of them went on to be uh, used by God in a great way. The other one went down as one of the worst villains in the history of the world, right? Think about how differently they finished, but how they started out so similarly. And why is that? What I want you to hear today, and, and, and really, if you're here, uh, and, and, and man, I don't know what God might be doing in your heart, but this is the thing I want you to really take away. I want you to realize that the difference in Peter and the difference in Judas was this. Peter embraced Jesus and forsook his sin, but Judas forsook Jesus and embraced his sin. So much so that his sin became his identity. So much so that, that, that he couldn't overcome it. The Bible says, as we saw, that he was filled with remorse and he ends up going away and hanging himself. The Bible talks about the fact that there is a sorrow, a godly sorrow that leads us to repentance. In other words, it leads us to embrace Jesus and forsake our sin. But there's also a sorrow that leads to death. Judas was in that category. He found this sorrow, and rather than bringing it to Christ, rather than, than and you're going to see Jesus offers him opportunity after opportunity. Rather than bringing it to him, Judas turned away from him, embraced the sin, which led to death. And I want you to see this, and I want you to understand this. Now, let me ask you this. Now, when we read this text, we see that they finish very differently. We see that, that, that basically Peter um, has this all-inclusive day with Jesus on the beach, right? Kind of like a sandals day where he goes, the fish is provided, the bread's provided, everything's provided on the beach. And, and he's just kind of lounging and hanging out with Jesus. Um, he finishes that way right? At least in this part of the story. And then we look at Judas and he's hanging in a tree. Would you rather have the day at the beach with the fish and the life, or would you rather be hanging from the tree dead? It's a simple question. Jesus makes it very simple. I realize that's pointed and, and, and it's, it's a little sharp, but the thing is that I want you to see today that God has put before us this choice of life and blessing and life in him or death. Because here's the thing I can tell you, that the path of, of, of embracing Jesus and, and forsaking our sin, it always leads to life. The path of, forsake, path of forsaking Jesus and embracing our sin, it always leads to death. And I want you to grab that. I want you to see that. I want you to hear that today. Now, as we look at John chapter 13, I want to walk through this text a little bit. And what I want to do is really begin to look at the question and answer the question, why do people turn away from Jesus and embrace their sin? Why wouldn't everyone, when we see Jesus in the Bible and his love and his grace and who he is, why wouldn't everyone come to a place of embracing Jesus and forsaking sin when we see what he offers and we see that he does make this choice between life and death very clear? Why wouldn't we? Why would we not 
choose him. And so I want to look at that by walking through some of this text. Let's look again at John chapter 13, and I'll read 18 through uh, 21. It says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I've chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. In those days, to lift up your heel was to show shame. It was basically a disgrace to show them the bottom of your feet. I don't like feet, so I get that. I understand that, right? And so the thing that I I see in this is he's saying, basically, one of you is going to disgrace me. One of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to shame me. um, And in doing so, shame yourself. And he's saying, I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit, meaning he was beginning to be emotionally disturbed from the standpoint of upset and feeling this tension within himself. And he testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. I'd like to tell you the first reason that I believe and what I see in this text when I read it, that we don't turn to Christ, that we don't embrace him and turn from our sin, is that we don't realize the path that we're on. We don't realize the path that we're on. Let me tell you why I believe this. One, it shows us here that Judas is on this path of destruction. Um, Jesus is already telling them, one of you is going to betray me. But see, here's the thing I want you to understand. Jesus could have just as easily made the comment, all of you are going to betray me. And here's why. There hasn't been a single person who's walked the face of the earth who in some way has not betrayed Christ. Now, Judas is the one we look at who put him on the cross, but can we be honest that Jesus really put himself on the cross, but the reason he put himself on the cross is because of all of our sin. It wasn't the sin of Judas, it was the sin of all of us. And so we need to understand many times we don't know the path that we're on. I surprised the family with a ski trip, and we went skiing over um, winter break. And, and we get out there, and we go skiing. And Dake, um, my oldest son, um, is pretty decent skiing. And so I'm like, maybe he's ready for something else, you know, maybe something a little more. And so I'd seen this blue slope. We'd been on the greens. I saw this blue one, you know, the intermediate slope. And I thought this will be a good, um, good trial for him. And, and it looked like it wasn't really much worse than what we'd been on. Well, we're going along, and we're, he's doing great. And we get to the end, and I don't know, maybe for about 300 yards or so, it just kind of gets steep, right? And so he comes out, we kind of come out off of this one slope and hit this thing, and and we're skiing along beside each other. And then all of a sudden, it was like, he just took off. And I'm standing there, and I'm like, And I couldn't get him. And so then I'm like, I'm, I'm like this. I'm like trying to catch him. I don't know what I'm going to do if I'm going to catch him, right? And so I'm just trying to like, come back, come back. And then finally I get to this point. I'm like, you're on your own, kid. You know, land it, land it. You know, I'm just like, oh my gosh. And, and the thing that he didn't realize is that he was about to be in this situation. He didn't realize that the trail we were on, the path we were on, was leading him to this place where thankfully he wasn't destroyed, right? Um, because he was going like Mach 4 down this hill. I mean, he was flying. And I mean, I could do nothing. And finally he gets to the end. I mean, I thought he was just going to continue going like all the way back to the condo. It was just, he was just flying. 
and I couldn't do anything about it. I want you to see that for us, most of the time, we don't realize the path that we're on. When we're in sin, we get so blinded by it. We don't realize this path of destruction that we're walking on. But the one thing I can promise you is that it does lead to destruction. Adam and Eve, how many sins did it take to separate them from God and lead them to death? It took one. We've all done that. The Bible is true when it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Many times we don't realize the path that we're on. And it leads to destruction. But Jesus offers us another way. Listen to verse 22 through 25. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to the table, or reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I would give this piece of bread when I dipped it in the dish. The second thing is, that, and the reason I think we don't turn to God, is because I believe we miss the heart of God. If you were here at the Redefine series that we did this past week, we did it Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night, I talked about this verse. I talked about the, this text just a little bit. And I talked about how when I was in school, um, my girlfriend then, my wife now, had basically twisted my arm um, into taking a social dance class Um, which I did not choose to take. If you know me, you know that I only danced when I had a lot of liquid courage in my body. And so at social dance, they didn't allow that. And so I was up against a wall. Um, And so, but it was either keep Susan happy and take social dance or make her mad. I chose social dance. And I told you in that, that that we had to learn all of these different dances. And I demonstrated a little bit of my dancing moves, right? I mean, you kind of do the foxtrot and you do the waltz where you just, it seems like the same thing. You just pick your heels up. I don't know what the difference is. Some of you social dance people can help me out with that. Um, I, I, I passed, okay? That's all I can say about that class. And I told you that story because in this text, one of the things we see is we see John leaning back against the chest of Jesus. And I told you, um, in the Greek, this literally means that he had his head, ear to his, what the Bible would call his bosom, his chest, where his heart would beat. And I told you, he had the opportunity to hear the most great, the greatest, awesome thing in the world. He heard the heartbeat of God. And we see that he began to live his life in rhythm with that heartbeat. And we talked about doing that. But for us, for many of us, one of the things we often miss is we miss God's heart for us. We don't understand what God is telling us. And and the thing we miss is his amazing love for us. See, many times we walk into church under this weight of condemnation, under sin. We live our life under this weight of condemnation, under sin. But the reality of it is that God is not out trying to kill us. God is trying to save us. God loves us. He's not trying to somehow destroy us. Um, Listen, if he wanted to destroy us, he just wouldn't have sent his son. But God loves us. We can't miss the heart of God. We can't miss what God wants for us. See, we think about Jesus and two or a couple of mistakes I think we fall into. One is many times we think about Jesus as Lord or we think about Jesus as Savior. But we don't necessarily think about him as both. And see, it's important to think about Jesus and to understand Jesus as both Lord and Savior. If all we do is think about Jesus as Lord, then this is what happens. We, we begin to live this life of basically this self-abasement, this, this thought that maybe if I can do enough good stuff, I can get this right. And we begin to live that way with Jesus just lording it over us. And I would say many, many Christians live this way, where it's just like, if I'm going to be a Christian, then I can't drink and I, I can't chew. And if I do, he's going to you know, smite me and he's going to come down. He's like, I just just 
destroy me, right? And I just begin to think this mindset that God's always up there with like this paddle, just wanting to slap me upside the head, just wanting to always beat me, right? And the reality of it is that that's not God's heart. God's judgment comes because we walk away from God, not because God walked away from us. God has done everything he can trying to draw us. The second danger that we see is that we just view Jesus as Savior. And what begins to happen there is life is still about me. And I miss the point. I don't get it. I miss the fact that Jesus, he's, he's both Lord and Savior. And as Savior, yes, he's forgiven me and he loves me. But when I come to this place of, of, uh, of finally realizing that he's Savior, yes, but Lord also, what begins to happen is I begin to realize he calls the shots in my life. And so we see that there's an importance of seeing God's heart for us. Many, many, many times we miss that. Many times. We, we, all we've experienced in church, all we've experienced of Christ is this legalistic mindset of I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And we miss the joy of the Savior. Or either Jesus is just the Savior, but we don't really live under his lordship. And we wonder why things still don't make sense and don't work out. The next one, if you look at verse 26, I think I read that a minute ago. Let's read it real quick. Jesus answered to the, as to the one that's going to betray him. Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. And, and I want you to see in this one, the third way I see that we sometimes, the reason we don't turn to God and we turn away from God, we don't forsake sin, we embrace it, um, is that oftentimes we miss the gift of his favor. See, in this culture, for him to take that little piece of bread and for him to give it to uh, Judas was a sign of honor. It was a sign of respect. It was a sign, basically, if I were to put it in a couple of words, special favor. See, what we need to realize, church, and what we need to understand, and what I want you guys to hear today is that God has reached out his hand with the bread of life so that you and I can live. He has given us special favor through Jesus. Woo! And so he's given us special favor through his son. God's extended his hand to us. His grace, the grace that we always sing about, amazing grace, all of these things that we sing about grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It means you don't deserve God's love. I don't deserve God's love. But the reality of it is God has extended his hand. And in his hand, he extended his son, the bread of life, so that you and I could recognize his grace and love for us. And that we could come to a place of, of forsaking sin and running to him. Forsaking sin and embracing Jesus. And so we go and we run. Another time we realize through this text that Jesus is again making an appeal to Judas. Listen to verses 27 through 30. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. The fourth thing I see in reason that we would embrace um, sin and not embrace Christ, forsake Jesus and not forsake sin is that we refuse the light of Christ and we don't admit the darkness. This is a huge thing in the church. This is a huge thing in the church because what happens is we come in and our experience has taught us that church is a place for perfect people. 
when church ought to be the place for the most jacked up people who need a savior. Isn't that what Jesus said? That I, I came not for those who are healthy, but for those who are sick. He came for those who need a doctor. Listen, if you're looking for perfect people, you're in the wrong place. If you're looking for people who love Jesus and need a savior, you're right where you need to be. And so I want you to see that. But the problem is, because we've been taught that church is a perfect place for perfect people, we never confess any sin. And see, the reality is, it's, it's impossible to overcome our sin if we're not willing to confess our sin. If we're not willing to find somebody who's walking with us, wanting to go the same direction as us, then, then it's hard for us to do that um, without or, or overcome sin without walking with someone or some people that we can tell. See, the good thing for me is I get to confess my sin typically to about 50 1,500 people a week. But you know what it does? It liberates me. You know what it does? I don't have to live a hypocritical life because you know all my junk anyway. I know, I know what it is to be tempted and to fall into looking at things that you don't want to look at. I know what it is to be tempted with, with even with prescription drugs. I know what it is to be tempted with alcohol. I know what it is to fall into the grip of alcohol. I know those things. I know what that's like. I know um, how, how it can take hold of your life. I understand that. But I also understand this, the power of Jesus to deliver us from all things that are not of him. And so we have this opportunity to come to Christ, this opportunity to walk out of the darkness and into the light, to find somebody and grab them and say, I've got a struggle. I need someone to walk with me. That's what we're here for is to walk with people through their difficulties and through their struggles. Look at the next section there, verse 33. Or I'm sorry, verse 31 and 32. When he was gone, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. The fifth reason I think we don't turn to Christ is that we miss the focal point of this whole story, which is our life. We miss the whole focal point. See, many of us don't realize as Jesus is talking here, he's talking about his glory. He's talking about um, how he's going to be glorified. The reason we exist, folks, is to glorify him. And here's the thing, and I'm going to keep this point pretty short. This is what I would tell you. If life isn't making sense and things aren't adding up and it just seems purposeless and pointless, then this is what I would suggest. Maybe we're living it for the wrong person. Maybe we're living it for the wrong person because we're not the point of the story. Jesus and his glory is the point of the story. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, so just did. Verse 33, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. See, here's another reason that we don't turn to Christ because the urgency in our life is towards what's temporary, and we have apathy towards what's eternal. Jesus tells them in John 14, 1 through 3, that he's going away to prepare a place for them. See, this is our hope. 
Our hope is not in stacking good things up against bad things and maybe I'll be okay. Our hope is in the fact that Jesus was perfect. He lived a life we couldn't live. He died the death we should have died and, and we was put into the grave. He came back out overcoming sin, death, and the grave so that we could live. That's what we're celebrating today. So that the reality of it is that we, we should have an urgency not towards those things which are temporary, but where our life, if we're in Christ, is truly found in him. He says, I prepared a place for you. It means that if we're in Christ and we know him, no matter what today brings, tomorrow brings, next week, next month, next year, no matter what comes, I have victory. I'm not fighting for a victory. I'm fighting from a victory. I have victory because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. I've been set free. I know where I'm going to be. I know my eternity is secure. So many people say, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll, I'll, I'll give my life in tomorrow. I know I should. I know I should. I'll do it tomorrow. There's two problems with that. What if tomorrow never comes? Right? Garth Brooks sang a song about it. I won't sing it. I started to. I'm not going to. The other thing is, listen, what if tomorrow never comes? But the other thing is this. You're missing life now. See, we've told people so long that all it is is a ticket to heaven. No, it's a ticket to heaven now. It's the joy of a relationship now. We need to see this. We need to understand this. Verse 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? So verse 34 and 35 there. I believe that one of the reasons, listen, he's telling us to love one another. He's telling us to love one another. I believe that one of the reasons people don't turn to Jesus, quite frankly, and to be quite honest, is the church. It's the church. God's people. Isn't that crazy? You know how many people I hear and I read about that say, I love Jesus. I just don't like his church. You know how many people would love, they, they, they're like, yeah, I'd like to be more like Christ. But I don't like his followers. I believe it was Gandhi who said that himself. He said, man, Jesus, yes, like Jesus. I just don't like the people who follow him. Why? Because we haven't been what Jesus has called us to be. See, it's hard to, to, to give an apology, isn't it? Isn't it hard to give an apology? Anybody like to apologize? Nobody's like, yeah, I can't wait to tell them I'm sorry. Because it, it doesn't feel good. It's just like Susan's great at it. She's like, I'm sorry, you know, we had that little spat last night, that fight last night. I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> and then finally, I'll send her a text. I'm sorry, too. I just, <laughs> I shouldn't have done that, right? Because apologies are hard, but I believe in many ways the church needs to apologize. Uh, the, the big C church, the church university, we need to apologize. I even made a little list of things I think we need to apologize for. Number one is that we've been preaching grace and not extending it. We've been telling people, come to Jesus, just come to Jesus. And they're like, why are you doing that? And, and so we, we need to extend the grace we preach about. We do great as long as they look like us, smell like us, or clean like us. But see, Jesus isn't a white Jesus, a black Jesus, a yellow Jesus, a gray Jesus. Jesus is a Jesus for all people with all situations and all circumstances. And we need to realize that. And we need to extend that grace to people. The second one, and this ties into that, is judgmental attitudes. There's so much bigotry in the church. 
People looking down their noses at people who've sinned, who've made mistakes so much so that people feel they can't walk through the doors of a church. Listen, if we get to be that church, if we are that church, we need to shut the doors. We need to go find something else to do. I can roof. Did that for 10 years. It isn't fun. The third one. We've been, the church needs to apologize for being content with our holy huddle. Being content with that. We're like a football team that gathers every week, calls a play, and never breaks the huddle. We just stay in the same huddle, looking at the same faces, not going to reach new people. We need to apologize for that. We're called to go to every nation. We're called to take, we're, we, should, we're, we need to be raising up leaders who, who go where the gospel hasn't been heard. We have this luxury of sitting in a nice building and doing all these things today. And, and there's billions of people around the world who haven't heard the name of Jesus. And we've got a responsibility to do something, to break the holy huddle and to go and tell people here and there. Four, making our preference more important than people. I'm not even going to spend a lot of time on this. It's pretty obvious. But things that we like become more important than reaching people. We ought to be willing to do whatever it takes minus sin to reach the lost. And we need to apologize for that. Number five, making Jesus unapproachable. Through our attitudes, through that judgmentalism, through all of those things. I had a guy one time came up to me I'm in a gathering of people. And he was like, I left your church. It's like, first of all, it's not my church, but I know what you're saying. He goes, I left your church. It's like, nice to meet you. He goes, I just thought you were unapproachable. All right, never heard that one before. Add that to the list, all right? And then he goes, and I'm sitting there and everybody's kind of like, And, and he just add that one to the list, right? And I'm like, okay, what do I say? What do I say? And he goes, and the girls, they don't wear enough clothes there. I was like, all right. And I'm literally at a loss of words. And then finally this guy speaks up and he goes, dang, you can't even go to Walmart, can you? <laughs> I was like, thank you. And it was, I was like, man, what? You know, I don't mean to be, but sometimes that's what we do, church, is we make Jesus unapproachable because we're unapproachable. We, 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 we kind of just set ourselves apart from people so much that we have no influence in their lives. We need to change that. This last one is this, that we haven't told the truth. We haven't told the truth. The church, the people who have the truth, haven't in many ways told the truth. See, what we've tried to do is medicate people's problems by giving them these watered-down, feel-good messages, by not talking about the root issue of sin. We need to repent of that. We need to get back to talking about what the problem is. For us to try to medicate with something other than the truth of the gospel, it would be like a doctor giving me Tylenol for cancer. We're giving something that can't take away the issue. And we need to get back to giving the truth of God. The last thing I'm going to tell you, and then we got something special we want to show you. Verse 36 through 38, so Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. See, Peter's faith was not nearly as strong as it is. I believe many times it's just an unbelief. Will Jesus really do what he promises me he will do? And the reality of it is, yes, he will. When we give our life to Christ, he will fulfill every promise he's given. He will love us. He'll forgive us. He'll walk with us. He'll give us life now, abundant life now. But the reality is we have to come to him, forsake our sin, and embrace him. Many times we think, will he do what he promises he will do? And can he do what he promises we can, he will do? And I'm telling you, 
One of the reasons we don't turn to him is unbelief. But I want you to watch this video, this testimony, to show you just one, one, two lives, one marriage that this has happened to. I want you to see this. This is incredible about the power of God. Growing up in church was real hard for me when I was young. It just, it felt like it was, it was real rigid. And uh, I just felt that there was a pressure there, a pressure that I had to meet some kind of standard, you know, for God to love me. As time went on, I started to feel like God was calling me into the ministry. But I had some real confusing things going on in my mind. I didn't understand, God, if you want me in the ministry, why am I having some of the thoughts that I have? And, and I just felt like I was unworthy that Maybe, God, you made a mistake that you don't really want me. So um, I set out to prove to God that he didn't want me to be in the ministry. After that, I started to experience some of the worldly things that the world had to offer. And this just added to the confusion in my life. When I was eight years old, my parents were divorced. It was really, really hard on me. And um, sometime later, a really mean man came into my life and um, he was emotionally abusive. And this was a time when I was already confused and it was a tender age when I was developing a sense of myself. And I unfortunately developed a ne very negative sense of myself because he was real hateful and um, he criticized me a lot. He would cuss me out, tell me I wasn't good enough. And at the age of 10, um, I started contemplating suicide seriously because um, I just felt like I was a burden, like the world would be a better place without me. On the way home, I was riding the school bus and um, I got off the bus and as I was approaching the house, I saw a piece of paper in the screen door. And when I got to the door, and I pulled the piece of paper out, and I will never forget, it was a beautiful fall day, and I took the paper out into the yard, and I sat underneath the pecan tree, and the leaves were crunching underneath me, and laid my books down, and I read the paper. And it was a Bible tract. And the little girl who thought that nobody loved her realized that Jesus Christ loves her. And on that day, he saved me, and I gave my heart to him. You know, when I was a little girl and I would daydream, I never thought about being a famous actress or a rock star. All I wanted was to be loved. And um, so I thought, you know, that I found that in Bo, and I was really excited. And I was 20, and we were married when I was 23. And we experienced the normal ups and downs of marriage. And then we uh, went through some valleys. Uh, he lost a job that he really loved. And we endured the pain of having a stillborn son. And um, Bo had always been a social drinker. But these events really, instead of turning to God, he really became very angry. And at this point, he became a full-blown alcoholic. Also, you know, I had a history of, of dabbling in drugs. I, I had tried pot, I had tried cocaine, and then finally I found my drug of choice, and that was crystal meth. All the frustrations that I had within me, um, the crystal meth just added to it. It brought stuff out of me that that normally shouldn't happen. I became a I became an abusive husband, um, both verbally 
and sometimes physically. It got to a point where the boys were getting a little bit older and our oldest son said, Mama, why is Daddy always so mean to you? And I realized in that moment, that was my breaking point because I realized this environment they were in was wrong for them and that if they grew up and treated their wives the way Bo was treating me, I would be devastated. This pattern of frustration and and drug usage and alcoholism really took its toll on not only my life, but on the lives of the ones that are closest to me. Um, one night in a, in a drug-induced state, I took a gun and I held it to Jennifer's head and I told her I would blow her brains out. So I knew that I had to leave, that it, I just, I couldn't stay after that. My wife of 14 years was gone, both my sons. I was drunk, jobless, I was in financial ruin. We were about to lose our home. And I remember just the strain and all the frustration just really mounted up. I hit my knees in my driveway and, and I just asked God, I wasn't asking him to bring Jennifer and the boys back, and I know I didn't deserve them, but everything that was inside of me, everything that led up, all the, all my hurt, all my pain, all my frustration, all my anger, all my unworthiness, I wanted it to go. And I just asked God, would he just please change me? Would he please change me? And y'all, at that very moment, God's grace and mercy and his love and his forgiveness came pouring down on me like I'd never felt it in my life. I knew that somewhere deep down inside that the man I fell in love with was still there, that he was just confused. And for the sake of my family, for the sake of honoring God, for keeping the covenant that I had entered, I came back. And as we continued to progress, um, you know, Bo, he kept telling me that he was sorry. And I said, okay. And I, but I, I really, I didn't mean it. And we started working with a Christian counselor. And when we told him our story, he said, this marriage is beyond repair. And he said, any book you read, any clinical book you read will tell you this marriage cannot be saved. But we have a different book. We have the book, and it says otherwise. When Jesus Christ came to the earth and was savagely beaten until he was unrecognizable, he hung on a cross and he died a sinner's death. He didn't do all that for me to become a bitter old woman. He wants me to forgive. He died so that I can live. I can live a life full of joy and love, the greatest of these. If I say I'm following Jesus, I need to do the things that he does. He loves, he extends grace and mercy and forgiveness. And I heard a message on forgiveness. And that was the most pivotal moment in the healing process. 
because I realized um, that I had truly not forgiven him. And when I looked at Bo, I saw this jerk who hurt me. But when I really called on the power of the Holy Spirit and I said, God, please let me forgive him. Please let me see him the way you do. And I didn't see him as the jerk who hurt me. I saw him as a child of God, a child whom God had already forgiven. And at that point, I forgave him too. Through all this, I found that, you know, God has a plan. And no matter how hard I tried, that no matter what I did, no matter how far I went out, no matter how unworthy or, or worthless and how unloved and, and how abusive and bad I was, that God still had a plan. And God's, uh, God's love was there. And uh, through it all, through God's preparing me, God changed my life that night. And it took me going to the very end of my rope to realize that. And now, just I can't even believe it. I'm still in a fog that, that through all this, that, that his plan of him wanting me to be in the ministry has come to pass. Now I'm a pastor of service and outreach here at Connection. Zion, Zion forever is better with you. Tomorrow we celebrate our 19th wedding anniversary. Who would have thought? And again, it really shows his power, his glory, that he can do anything. And the same power, when you realize that the same power that conquered the grave, that raised people from the dead, when you accept Christ, that power comes and dwells within you, the Holy Spirit. And I know that there are people struggling with things today and that just know that when you're in that valley, you call on the power of the Holy Spirit and He enables you to do things that by yourself you're not able to. We are conquerors through Christ. That's, that's the power of Jesus. That's what God does when we come to him. Is he works in us. Listen, not every story ends the same exact way, but the same God is in the midst of it. The same God is, is, is in our story. And really and truthfully, it's not even our story. It's his story. One of the things that keeps us from coming to God many times is condemnation. Many times it's this feeling that I'm not worthy. This feeling that I, I can't come to Jesus the way. I'm too bad. I'm, I'm, I'm too far gone. And the reality of it is Jesus' hand is not too short to save anyone. And here's the thing I want you to do. I want you, we're going to sing a song in just a second. But I want you um, today as you leave to get a card. And what it says is it says in Christ. And if you've put your faith in Jesus, I want you to understand a few things about who you are and who Jesus says you are. And I hope maybe if you're not in Christ, if you haven't put your faith in him as Savior, I'm hoping that today there would be something in you, God would stir something in you to come to that place of faith. But listen to this, in Christ you are loved. In Christ you are forgiven. In Christ you have a new identity. See, the Bible says that when we come to Christ that the old is gone and the new has come. In Christ I have a future. 
in Christ, I have a purpose. We go from wandering through life, not knowing why we exist, to finding our identity in Christ and in his body, his church. And in Christ, I am secure. These are just a few of them. And the Bible is full of these promises and these statements of who we are in God. And today, right now, I just want you to take a second. I want you to listen to the words of this song as we sing it to you. And then we're going to come back and we'll wrap this up. But I want you to ponder this. One, am I in Christ? And two, if I am, where am I carrying condemnation in my life that I can let go of because of who he is? And listen, where am I embracing sin and forsaking Jesus? Let's turn our lives from this path of destruction to life. Listen to the words of this song. Amen. Well. If you are in Christ, then you are his own. It means you are free, free from death, free from the grave, free from sin, free from condemnation. You're free. Before we go, we're going to get you out of here. We've gone over. I want to ask you, maybe you're not in Christ. In other words, you haven't placed your faith in him as Savior. You haven't come to this place of forsaking sin and following him. Maybe you've never embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe he's been Lord and you've been trying to live a legalistic life, doing all the right things. Maybe he's been a Savior, but you've never made him Lord of your life. The story's still about you. It's never really been about God. Today, you say, yeah, I want this relationship with Jesus. I want to give my life to him. Today can be the day of salvation for you. Today that it all changes. Today that it all turns. So I want to give you that opportunity right now, right where we are. If that's you today and you would say, yeah, I want to receive him as my Lord and my Savior, I'm going to ask you right here, would you stick your hand way up in the air? Just stick it up in the air and let us celebrate. Amen. 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 Who else? I'm going to ask our prayer team, would you come forward? Would you come forward, prayer team? And um, I know I saw one young lady here and this gentleman here. We're going to pray with you guys and just talk to you about your next step. The great news about Jesus is this, that when we come to him, it's not the end of a story or a journey. It's the beginning of a new life. So if somehow we missed your hand, we'd love to pray for you. And you can get up and you can walk down here. We'd love to pray for you. Um, I'm going to pray for the rest of us. And I don't know where you're at or what you're dealing with or what maybe you need to forsake so that you can come to Christ uh, and follow him. But I want to pray for us and pray that we would be followers, that we would embrace him and forsake all all the other things that lead us to death. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love and grace, your life, the power of your Holy Spirit. God, enliven us through the Spirit. God, draw us close to you, that we could walk in your ways, that we could walk in the abundant life that you died to give us. Thank you for the resurrection and the resurrection power that still takes people from death to life today. Go with us now in Jesus' name, amen.